Good evening, Patriots. And it's Monday, the July 18th in the year 2022. East Coast, you've now hit Tuesday. And Monday is just a typical crazy busy day. No matter how you cut it, it always seems to be just things going way too fast. And then it's over, and then you're like, wow, glad it's over. And already you start looking out and going, yeah, it's going to be coming here again. Hey, Patriots, before we begin tonight, make sure you're taking good care of your health. That means boosting your immune system as you need to. We are surrounded by the stresses and the environmental issues that are challenging our immune systems. And keeping our immune systems strong is essential to maintaining a strong position in this fight. Expedition Coffee was designed specifically to not only give you that energy boost you need that will sustain you across the entire day while boosting your immune system and help maintain a mental focus throughout the day. You can find Expedition Coffee, X-P-E-D, Expedition Coffee at ExpeditionCoffee.com. And there you'll also find a full range of products that are designed to work as a full health ecosystem, all designed to reclaim your personal health sovereignty. Those products include the Gut Health Triad, which helps heal and seal your gut. Leaky gut is one of the critical causes of sickness in our nation. You also have Immune XP, which is an immune booster based on pinecone extract with high levels of vitamin C. Earth, which is a nutrient powder, giving your body a full complement of nutrients you need. Just mix it with water, drink it like a shake. Do that once a day. And Pure 47, one of the most refined silver extracts on the market that can isolate most of the pathogens that you'll encounter. The products on ExpeditionCoffee.com are all designed to give you back the strength in your immune system to not only endure the challenges to the immune system, but to dominate and to rise above to reclaim your true health sovereignty. So check out Expedition, X-P-E-D, ExpeditionCoffee.com. A key word there is sovereignty. And it's one of the things that I think we drift away from quite a bit. And sovereignty comes through God. And last night I talked pretty directly, and I'm going to continue with this for a long time. It's the necessity for us to start really looking at repentance. And it's not just simply going to God and saying, we repent as, we repent for what we've done, repent as a nation. It really gets into a lot of the traps that we're currently in and having to unwind them. I want to start with a piece here tonight that's actually pretty powerful, and it's something I've been stating for some time. And I have to admit, this one is unexpected, and I I think you'll find it that way as well. So take a listen. So here it is, the most unpopular opinion I'll ever do. I hope you guys duet and stitch and save or whatever you need to do to this because it's going to get down fast. If I would have understood when I was younger that fighting for my rights as a lesbian would mean allowing children to drag shows, attaching child molesters to our community, and allowing children to change their sex before they even know what their favorite color is. I would have never done it. Never. That's God working. And compliments to her, truly, for having the courage to come out against her community and speak truth like that. You know, I've said many times, I'm not gonna condone the lifestyle But what upsets me the most in this whole thing is these are still people. They're still God's children. That's, in the end of the day, that's between them and God. I'm not going to judge, not going to condone, but I am going to judge if you are silent on these matters that deal with children. That's unacceptable. And someone like this who just made that comment, that is a huge statement and takes a lot of courage to come out against a community that is overall silent and tends to cut people out when they go against the, go against the grain. And Patriots, we have to look at ourselves equally, though. And this gets into this, it's very easy for us to look across and say that's a 
sinful lifestyle. But we ourselves have some pretty dark and heavy things to look at. If you're a if if any of us and I will put it this way, any of us that has been have been following President Trump that has supported him, or if you followed President Obama and you followed him, I will guarantee you every one of us has been consumed with an idolatry or lifestyle at a certain point. Because we were putting more emphasis on a leader than we were in God. I hear many times people will say, Well, President Trump was put here by God. He's anointed. Okay. Let's take that for face value. Then my question is, then why didn't the nation put more emphasis praying to God for him than just standing around waiting for him to fix it? That's idolatries. When we talk about, like I did in the last hour, we talk about the stock market. And people are invested in the stock market and they're trying to figure out ways to keep their investments strong and keep their 401k strong. Patriots, that's the Babylonian system. And that system is making money on the backs of other people for doing nothing. That's a form of slavery. You know, it's interesting because in my life, I've, I've dabbled in the stock market a number of times. And every single time, it's like God just whacks the heck out of me. And I've lost. And I'm not at all. Uh, I do my research well. And I understand the market quite well. But that is an area that literally has been blocked every time I've gone into it. And every time I've gone another way to go into solid assets, tangible things, where wealth is preserved, not grown off of other people's back, God has done a beautiful job of showing me the way. I bring this up because this is a point in time when we have to start making a decision of how we're going to live because this is where we are at this juncture. And there's too much of this emphasis being placed on the idea of being able to ask forgiveness for your sins. And we're not looking deep enough, in my opinion. We're not digging in to really looking at the true lifestyles in which we are at. Debt should not be in our holding, and yet debt is common in everything. We get into the principles of profiting through investments. And to me, the, the way this is structured, I'm not saying one should not profit, be very clear. The way that the system of the stock market is rigged or the gaming, say, your, your cryptocurrencies to, to make money, these aren't real aspects of wealth. These are wealth Ponzi schemes. And so these are aspects of our life as a whole, as a nation, that we are accountable for. Whether we like it or not, we are all accountable for the actions of the nation. And in the end, nations shall be judged. And that's the valley of decision that I'm convinced that we're at right now is where is this nation going to go? What decisions are we going to make? Here's a little tidbit for you. This, I think this starts to put things in a greater perspective. So we know that there was approximately 45 bioweapons labs in the Ukraine, at least that we know of. And yet we're watching our government take taxpayer dollars and pour them into Ukraine. And we've seen tons of people jump on that bandwagon, this NPC idea of like, tell me where I should point my loyalty. And they put up the Ukraine flags and they, they celebrate Ukraine. It's not just online. You, you've seen it. I'm sure around town, I've actually in a small town, conservative small town, not too far from me. We had somebody out there the other day flying a Ukraine flag next to the American flag. I was just shaking my head at the level of stupidity. Well, here's some latest news from Taiwan. We have 1,200, there are, I won't say we, but I guarantee it all leads to us. So I'll leave it at that. There are 1,251 biolabs in Taiwan. 1,251. And I'm going to tell you that when we water that money down, it is going to be coming from our nation. And when in the end of the day, where did that money come from? It came from our pockets. Now, when we walk in a place where we don't know, that's one thing. But the minute that we know something, we're now 100% accountable for it. 
So it's not just simply pointing the finger at the government and going, you're bad. That's our money. And let's take it back a step farther. That was God's gift to each of us, no matter how we do it. God's gift to each of us has come down to us that taxes were paid, which themselves are illegal. Taxes were paid. We willfully went along with that circus. And that money was then used because by our free will, we gave away God's gift to this maniacal tyranny that's then decided to use it anywhere they choose because by our free will, we let them. And yet the gift came from God. This is how we have to start seeing the world. Unfortunately, we don't see this as the world. We see this as I earned this. This is mine. I did this. And that's part of the control that Babylon puts around us. That's part of the idea of the culture of me, the religion of me. That somehow God is separate from my financial life, but I'm, God is not separate from my financial life when I win. That's God. But when I lose, that's either the devil or I'm being punished. But it's not the positive God. Positive God only comes when we see the balance increase. And I've said this before, if we're really going to be looking at our financial situation correctly under a perspective of living with God and through others, then we should get excited when our balances fall because we know God is going to replenish. But instead, we get panicked when the balance falls and we celebrate when we build the balance high to where we can hoard. It's exactly reverse. So we just sent 108 million or crazy number of dollars worth of weapons to Taiwan to protect what? Its sovereignty? I doubt that. Because China's rattling its sword, it's going to take over Taiwan because China's an evil empire that's trying to take over the world. Here's my problem. I'm not going to say they are or not, but where is that story coming from? That story has been manufactured by our own media, and somehow we accept it as truth. I'm not saying China doesn't have problems, and I'm not saying the CCP isn't just a draconian pit of hell, but China's a big country and, like, a lot bigger than us in terms of population. Their economy in many sectors is booming. Innovation is booming. We're told that it's because they stole everything from us. Okay. But then nothing stopped it, and it still hasn't stopped it. And the answer we come back to is why hasn't anything stopped? So the normal default is because we can't control it. Because it's bigger than us. These are big people. We don't know where they are. And so here comes my favorite verse. Luke 10, 19, behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. So why is it that we've let that power, let them have the power over us? I would argue in part because we've accepted their rules, their game, their way of living as predominant and we've put God on the fringe to simply turn to him when we're not getting things done the right way. What does retirement look like when you trust in God? What does a retirement investment account look like when you live with trust in God? There's an interesting story. It doesn't even come from a Christian culture. It comes from Afghanistan. And I'm going to tell you, it was a very big eye-opener for me. Trust me. So there was a situation that happened down at a special forces base in southern Afghanistan, Helmand province, in a place known as Maywand. And Maywand was the home of the Taliban. And what had happened is a special forces team had been working with a village to help them set up a security defense force. And in the process, going in to meet with the elder, they ran across over an IED. Their vehicle got blown up. One of their soldiers was killed. And then suddenly they got an order from Bagram, which is where the Special Forces headquarters was for all the country, 
that gave them an abort order. Now, abort means abort mission. And this was like a Wednesday. I get a call from a lieutenant colonel in Special Forces, and he said, Scott, I need your help. And I said, yes, sir, what do you need? He says, do you know anybody in the South? I said, well, it depends on what you need. He says, we've just been given for the first time in our history an abort order, and we cannot let this stand. We've got to find a way through this problem. So through my contacts, I, I had quite a number of them, and I met with some Afghans that I knew, and I said, look, I need somebody of influence in the South that we can trust. And so this one particular elder that I was good friends with, and I was very good friends with his son, said, Scott, let me make some calls, but I think we can find somebody for you. So a few days came by, and he said, come and meet with us for lunch on Friday. And so at this lunch, I meet this man. I've never seen him before, never heard of him before. His name was Hero Jabbar. And Hero Jabbar, big, I called him Jabba the Hutt. He was big. Big man, kind of ate like Jabba the Hutt too. But anyway, but a heart the size of Afghanistan itself. He had survived through the Russian occupation. At one point, he had two hind helicopters assigned to him personally. He was given full cargo loads of cash in these helicopters for him, and he didn't keep any of it. He gave it all away. And he was a legend down in, again, somebody that I had no idea about. And yet when we introduced him, I brought him down a lot of long story of how we got him there. And we brought him in. I, I worked with another colonel and we worked out the entire operation of how to bring him into the village appropriately. We brought him in. We flew him in on helicopters. We arrived. He set up in the village right near the special forces base. And for three days, Elders came from miles around. He was visiting like 300 elders a day when they heard he was back. He'd been living down in the area, but he, he was being very quiet. But when he was back and he was now assisting with our attempt to stabilize this village and knowledgeable like you couldn't believe. Matter of fact, we were stunned because we were flying over this one region and he was looking out of the helicopter. And there's this general perception of Afghans. Some, we have this kind of anthropocentric view of the world as Americans is somehow we're always smarter. And this dude is literally looking from the helicopter. And if you've ever flown and tried to do a mapping from the aerial view, it's a completely different dimensional way of looking at life. It's difficult. And he is pointing out areas and telling us where we needed to set up checkpoints. And the crazy part about that is there was an analyst that was part of this team and we had spent several million dollars and a year of study to identify the perfect places to set up checkpoints and to identify what we call rat lines, which were the places where the enemy would move in. Hero Jabbar, in one flight, who had never seen this study, identified every single point that we had researched and many more, and he did it out of the memory of his own land because he knew it that well, and he knew his people that well. So what's my point of this whole story? They did this whole background check on Hero Jabbar. I gave him the name. I introduced him to the folks. They did their old research and they said, he doesn't show up anywhere. He's not on anybody's radar. And the reason? Because he didn't have any money. Zero. And I talked to him about this one day. I said, how is this possible? You used to have helicopter loads of aircraft come in with rubles. Yours to have. Do whatever you want with. He said, I, and I, as I told you, he said, I gave it all away. In fact, we were sitting at the dinner with special forces. And their interpreters, by the way, were hired from the states because they had to be U.S. citizens so they could get, they could get clearances. And here was this young boy, young man, I should say, in his 20s. that had come from an agency, a recruiting, it's an Afghan interpreter agency that was based in L.A., but he had originally grown up in, in Afghanistan, moved to, uh, to the United States with his parents before the war, 
Here he was now sitting with the special forces team that I was working with as their interpreter. And as we're having dinner, I'm watching him. And I asked him, I said, do you know Hero? He goes, oh, yes, I know him very well. I said, how do you know this man? He said he funded all of the schools in the South for us to learn English. He's the one that funded them all. I'm going to be clear. This man is a Muslim. Okay. And he teaches me one of the most Christian values. So I asked him one day, I said, here, explain this to me. And when I asked him this, this is when he had, this is later, it goes about, fast forward about a year. He's run for parliament. He's won in parliament. He's driving around in a, in a new Toyota Land Cruiser. He has several security guards. He's living in a beautiful apartment in Kabul. And he still doesn't have hardly a dime. And I said, so tell me how this works. He says, it's simple. He says, this is how we live if we live properly. We give everything away and God will always give it back to us when we need it as many times over as is needed. He says, this is how I've lived my whole life. And what struck me about that moment was the reality of what real retirement was like. How wrong we had it. Investments in 401ks, investments in this, investments in that. Hero is pouring out millions of rubles into the culture. When it was time for Hero to run for office, people paid for, provided him with everything he needed. Someone provided him with that new Land Cruiser. Someone else provided him with security. Someone else provided him with an apartment. Because they were doing exactly as Hero had done for them. Pretty amazing. And a completely different world to look at when you look at it and not only see it, but you see it through a completely different optic and a, a religion and culture that's not even similar to ours. And yet, there was God working. There it was. Patriots, we have to make a change in this nation. And as I shared last night, God was very clear to me this weekend. I, there's no hesitation where I stand. And it was they, meaning the country, must stop gaming the system. They must repent. And God has this way of speaking anyway that a few words mean so much more when it's put into your head and put into your heart. We have to make legitimate shifts. If we're going to truly repent, then we have to be making the identifiers in our life that we're going to change. Not just say, okay, God, I got it. I'm doing a bad thing here. But um, anyway, forgive me for that. I'm going to keep going. We have to physically start making a change in the way we live. This isn't going to be easy. And even today, just a simple little thing. Simple little thing. I was about ready to make an order through, I don't know, one of the companies that lists on the dark side of hell side. And I just stopped myself and I said, what are you doing? And of course, what was my motivation? I was going to save a few dollars. And I sat back and I just looked at myself and I just like, what are you doing again? Don't do this. If God is going to, if I'm going to go somewhere else and do the right thing, God will provide it. Don't worry about it. And this is a conversation I'm having with myself. My point is we're not infallible. We're not all doing fine, but we have to start being very aware of the intentional acts that we're making in our days. And right now, financial is a big one. It's what, it's what binds us all together and binds us to this Luciferian temple we live in. Hence, we get to Christ flipping tables. If we're going to flip tables, we can flip tables. We can flip tables right now. But it doesn't have to be dramatic. It has to be decisions that we make and how we start living our lives in terms of money, our relationship to money, our relationship to the businesses that are taking our money, 
our relationship to the way we invest our money or use our money. And we have to start thinking in terms of different what wealth looks like differently. Right now, if our wealth is tacked into 401k, here's the real one. Or if it's tacked into a bank budget or bank account, here's what that, or a pension, here's what that wealth is really, in all truth. That wealth is a number on a piece of paper that has already been spent a hundred times over that by the rich people and those big, large corporations has already been absorbed into their large budgets to increase the spending in areas like LGBTQ, satanic worship, QT, CRT, Common Core, all of those things that are tearing our country down, child sex trafficking, which generates more money and power for them, drug trafficking, whether it's pharmaceuticals or cross-border illegals, all of that, all of that is where that money ends up. And that money is part of our stewardship. People would argue, well, money is evil. Money is inherently not evil unless we play the game that money intends. And if we're converting money to something that's positive and we're using that as God guides us, We're moving through the system to get to a different point. But if we're just going to play the game and keep cycling back like a washing machine cycle and recycling and recycling, then yes, money becomes inherently evil and it becomes controlling over us. God doesn't want us to be poor, but poor doesn't and doesn't and doesn't desire us to have be anything less than what we desire. But what does that look like? Is it unnecessary accumulation of junk or miles high of, of a bank balance so that you feel good? That's not why God provides us with things. When we start living truly in a way that God asks us to, where our our talents are invested in, that everything Everything that we're doing is channeled with, worked through, walked with God and Jesus. That we're investing in God's vision of the world, which is through us. That means working with one another to help one another. What's an investment look like? Because what we do with an investment is we say, here, I'm going to give. What am I going to get back? And we look at the financial return, ROI, return on investment of that thing. But what does that look like in God's world? If God has asked us to invest in somebody, we're not going to see an ROI with money on that necessarily because God's not giving it that way. God will reward as we need, as we invest, and it will take many different forms because God owns everything. We have to break from the idea that we own everything. Give you an example. I'm just going to make this up. You want a new car. You need a new car. Not just want, you need a new car. But within your heart, not only do you need a new car, you've really told God, I'd really like to have this one thing. This is what I really would desire, my heart would like. So we think in terms of, okay, let's just say that for the sake of conversation, that car is $75,000. And you're like, God, I can't afford that. So we think in terms of how are we going to accumulate $75,000? And that puts us into that OODA loop of working with the system to game the system, to get more money out of the system so that we can spend $75,000. Or we're going to take a, a debt on it. We're going to put down 10%, $7,500, and you're going to get the car and make your monthly payments at about 850 to to 1000 a month. That's all not God. So let's try God's way. God, this is something that I've prayed on. You've blessed off on. This is something that I would like. This would be my ideal thing, but I need a new car. And just in this example, somebody reaches out to you and says, hey, you know what? I have this car sitting here. I want you to use it and just take it like, take it for yours. Use it as much as you want. That's your car to have now. That's God working. It's the same $75,000 car. That person's letting you use it. We, but we have to get to our head that like, okay, but what if you take it back? 
Who cares? God provided it. And someone has reached out through prayers to make sure that you're okay. They're not asking for a payment. And don't think what I'm saying is not doesn't happen, okay? <laughs> I could give you lists of things that happened in my life like this. The things that you just look around and you're like, wow, God, you just, this is what I prayed on. This is how you provided it. I never saw this one coming. Man, am I humbled. You see, our world is based on the me. And we're repenting for our nation and repenting for ourselves and still living in the me. How is that going to work? Because we know very well, and, and this is where it gets a little complicated, I think, because people will say, yeah, but we've been forgiven for our sins. Yeah, great, but that doesn't mean keep doing them. So what is that? Like, okay, well, I've, I've accepted Christ in my life, and yeah, I'm going to sin because I can't control this world, so I'm just going to keep sinning. And some of these things, I like, come on, dude, like I, I can't, I can't possibly change all of this. This is the world I'm in. That's just why Christ died for me. So I'd be forgiven for my sins. So I'm good. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and doing the best I can. And then I'm going to go to heaven. You'll probably make it. Maybe. But that's not the reason we're here is to try to keep doing the same thing over and over. And just saying, because I accepted Christ, it's all good, washed away. It's washed away what we did. We have to continue to strive to be better. And part of that repentance is us accepting what's before us and how the system has corrupted our heart and our relationships. Man, can you imagine if the country as a nation had spent as many rallies, had spent as many cheering sessions, had spent as many hours on the water rallies and the truck rallies and the people rallies instead of chanting Trump, praying to God? What would this nation look like? But where was God in all of that? Well, that's not there. God was in the backseat again. And it was kind of like, yeah, I've got God. Don't worry about it. But I'm here at a Trump rally, man. This is great. Why isn't God that exciting? See, these are, this is the idolatry problems that we have in this culture. And this is the confusion part where we're getting into that if we're really going to transform this nation and nations shall be judged, we have to lead the conversation in terms of repentance. And it doesn't mean do the same thing over and over and repeat the same garbage over and over and expect a different result. But that's what politics is. That's because it's institutional. Make America great again. Okay, what does that look like? Well, I can tell you what I think it looks like from a political point of view. It means be dominant in the world again, militarily, unquestioned in its might. Be dominant in all the domains of the military zones. That's airspace, sea, land, cyber, subterranean. Don't, no one can defeat us, and when they do, crush them miserably. Have the dollar be the most powerful currency in the world. Have industry leading the world in all of the new technologies, robotics, human technology-driven stuff, IoT, transhumanism, pharmaceuticals. That's, that's the political model for this. And, oh, by the way, while we're at it, get rid of some of the corruption in politics, but not all of it, because if I get into politics, I still want to be able to get a little bit for myself the way they used to. That's politics. That's corporate gaming. That's gaming of the system, meaning. That's that's the elementary school, the high school, the middle school teaching mentality. That's the culture and religion of me. What does Make America Great look like to me? And I've given this some very serious thought. And what it looks like is a country that is much more simply run. A country where we've gone back to some of the more fundamentals. People are growing their own food. They're taking more responsibility in their lives with education. We have hundreds of new small businesses, sole proprietorships and small co-ops We've walked away from the corporate model. We're working more together. 
Oh, and that might thing about countries invading us. We don't need all the technologies because we have something else that's greater than all of that. It's God. We've put our true faith in God. And yes, that doesn't mean we don't have a military. It doesn't mean we don't have a, a strong capability to defend ourselves. In fact, every single household has guns. Every single household has the metaphorical sort of steel and trains with them and learns how to use them well. But we don't worship them. Instead, our worship is to God. Make America Great Again to me is the restoration of the true understanding of where our security, our nurturing, our morality, our living comes from. There's no abortion in that view. There's no poverty in that view. There are different classes. I mean, tiers of wealth, unquestionably, because not everything is equal. But it's people serving people, taking care of one another. It's not idealistic. You know, the one thing about this country, which I'm convinced has given us grace with God, is that America as a whole, as its people, not its government, has given more to people around the world than any culture in the world. And I'm going to tell you something. Having traveled the world, there is no greater giving of a people than America. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we are dealing with a corrupt and vile government that has taken that goodwill and taken it as their license to use our good nature as a way to extrapolate and extract wealth at a heinous level, knowing that we would likely bear the burden while they go about playing Nazi and fascist camp around the world in our name. And worst yet, in God's name, because in God we trust, is on the Federal Reserve note, which is a debt-ridden note. There is no greater abomination than that. So again, I would go back to the principles of money in our nation and to think about that carefully because our money that we're using, to, especially in the sense of accumulation, those dollars are a debt-ridden exchange system with the words, if you translate, if you have half a million dollars in your 401k or a million dollars in your 401k, and that money is going to come back to you in hard currency, it's going to have paper currency and what's going to be on it. In God, we trust. That's pretty much right out of the book of blasphemy and hell right there. So each one of us, in my opinion, has, and it's more than my opinion because of what was shared with me over the weekend, so I'm not even going to say that. This is a time that we have to start looking at atonement for how we've lived and start being accountable to how we live. And if we're really going to seek the repentance of a nation and we really want to seek and strive for that nation where God once again comes on the throne, we can't stay the way we were. And it's not enough just to go down and go, okay, yo, I hear you, God, I want you back, I'm good. We have to change. We have to change the way we operate, the way we relate to one another, how we relate to money, how we relate to wealth. And by the way, there's no textbook here. There's no map except one. And it's the most complete system you could ever imagine. It's the most perfect way of ever doing it. And you'll never be wrong. You'll always be right if you do one thing. Trust in God. And in that unbelievable moment, when you turn it all over to God and you're like, okay, Here's my situation. I've got this pile of debt here. I've got this sort of stuff I'm doing here. I've been trying to gain my wealth this way. What do I do? 
and start listening and start doing. Because there's some things we don't need God to tell us to do. It's like the Father, you know, we've been taught by our Father when we grow up to introduce yourself by shaking a hand and, and, and and introducing yourself by name. So you don't have to be re-schooled when you get to be an adult to shake a hand and say, hi, my name is Scott Kesterson. That should have been trained to you a long time ago. It's an expectation when you get older that that's how you live. There are similar things here. And I think what happens is we get to these places and we're like, oh, God, what do we do? It's there. The The right and the wrong is already there. And God doesn't have to come back and go, okay, you remember when you were three years old and I told you this? You remember when you were five, I told you again? Remember when you were 10, I told you again? At what point do we take these lessons that we're learning and then grow with them to go deeper into Father? That's the step. But it's all going to come down where we go. We're in this valley of decision. What's going to happen here in this period of waiting, we'll call it? What we do as a remnant, what we do for the sake of the remnant to lead the nation will have very real effect. Remember as we read Ezekiel 14 last night, and if you weren't on the show or or you want to be reminded, read Ezekiel 14. Ezekiel 14, 6, therefore said the house of, therefore therefore say to the house of Israel, This is what the Lord God says. Repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. There's no middle ground there. And it goes on in Ezekiel 14, 12, talking about bringing a famine upon a nation that has turned its back to him. And even further, that those who would try to repent will only be saving themselves if the nation themselves will not repent because that leads that the nation, we are part of a nation. We are all influential in the part of a nation. And while individually we might be separated from the, the judgment, the nation shall be judged. That puts an enormous amount of burden and work on each of us, but that's part of walking the narrow path. And it's part of living a repentant lifestyle. Not getting to do what everyone else gets to do or chooses to do, but walking that path as a disciple of Christ in this world and living that path so you and I, all of us become the light on the hill for others to see and to be drawn towards. Because like moths to a flame, people are drawn to the greatness of the Lord. With a few exceptions, probably some of them being the bright-haired wackos that are calling themselves men that used to be women or something like that. But even they can be saved. So patriots... Repentance is on the menu. Repentance is something as a nation we must confront, and it's not just words. It is transforming our relationship with the Lord and with this system that's dueling for power. And this relationship is at the center point of where we truly are choosing to walk, and we can't walk in gray. And while we are forgiven for our sins, we have to continue to strive to walking closer and closer with God. Christ, through Christ we are forgiven, but that doesn't mean we get to play both sides and get all the pie at the end. This is the hardest part, I think, as a nation we have to face. Because up to this point, We haven't had to dig in deep into the accountability of what the systems are that we're part of that we've been participating in and what that means for each of us. But we must. And in so doing, we start to develop a real sense of repentance in the heart 
And it's those pure and powerful hearts of repentance that really begin to transform the nation. This is the new benchmark. This is the new hill to climb. This is the new vertical face we have to scale. Not all will, but many can, and I think many will. And it's that spark that will turn the course of this nation greater and faster than anything we can imagine. And in the end, I truly believe, whatever the end looks like, meaning in this sense of this war, not the end of mankind, I truly believe we will rise up to be once again the nation that is a model for all to look at. And it will be truly we the people, by the people, for the people, with God above us all. And it will show the greatness of a nation that truly gives and helps, and it will raise up the world. And it will be led by the many who have held to that very difficult transition to let go of the obsessions of wealth and accumulation, to start putting their eyes towards God and what it means to live through him, to love our neighbor, and to truly rise up to be our brother's friend, not our brother's keeper. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight very humbled and we pray for our nation. And it's a heavy prayer tonight because as we start to pull back these layers of accountability, we truly realize just how deeply corrupted so many things are and they affect all of us. None of us are immune. Father, forgive us because I think at times we've become comfortable Every single one of us, to a degree, has become comfortable. And, it's, and to look at some of these things is uncomfortable in itself. To have to admit that as much as we thought we had moved away from a system or we're not touched by the system or we're truly walking with you, we're going to have to discover that we're still very much part of, in many ways, and gaming still some of what the system does to keep us here. So, Father, what we seek right now is a repentance of the heart our heart and the heart of the nation. And we pray truly with the honesty of all that we have, acknowledging that there are things in here that we're going to learn and discover, things that we maybe we're not aware of, things that we've not been wanting to look at. What we ask now for is the strength to face them, to bring them to you. And as a true repentance, not just to speak the words, but to have the courage to change. We begin this show tonight, Father, with a message from somebody who is a lesbian. It's a lifestyle that is not holy. And yet this person had tremendous courage to speak truth to her own group. We pray for her. We pray for her and what that step is. And we pray that she'll find that beautiful relationship with Jesus. And we also pray that the courage that she showed will be shared by so many to do the right thing when it comes to idolatries and worships of money and the true repentance of a nation to pivot from that to become a nation where we are looking out and giving and investing through one another, not through the mechanisms of Babylon. So Father, in this moment, hear our prayers, please. We are imperfect, as you know. You sacrificed our son because of our imperfections and our sins. Now we strive higher. We're striving higher than ever. We know this climb is going to be a tough one. We just pray that Jesus can walk with us and show us, but that we can't just take forgiveness as a given thing and wash it aside like it's no big deal, but rather understand what the truth of sacrifice is that means that we each have to strive harder and farther and higher in our lives to be greater in the world that you presented to us, not just to take it for granted, to sit in the pew, to do whatever we do. This is a walk now of repentance for a nation that we are committing to. And whoever chooses to walk with this this tonight on this prayer, we just pray that they will embrace it fully and accept as you bring us to these points where we have to face change, we have to face accountability. And in the end, Be humble to put before us on our knees before you to seek forgiveness as we rise again to be bold and strong in a world with you, with Christ, in this walk of transforming a nation from the pits of Babylon 
to the glory of the kingdom which you seek and which you offer. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Our great challenge ahead is the courage that's needed to face many of these things. I believe people have incredible courage as a general rule. I think the system around us convinces people they don't. Let the system go. We live in a trap, one that's a maze with walls that are constantly changing. You could spend your life in the most pure sense of the word of walking and living, and you will never escape this maze because in the end, the system controls you. But when we put our eyes on Christ, they can change the walls of this maze a thousand, thousand times, and Christ will always lead us through. That means when we do that now in a repentance for this nation, more than ever, we follow that line of Christ. It will lead us places that we may not expect to, we may not have expected it to arrive at. And equally, it will offer things and challenges to us that we never thought we would have to face. But the rewards are beyond words. And how God invests in us is real because it's transformational and it's transforming souls to bring them back to him. And each of us is a little piece of his investment in his bigger view of bringing everybody back and unifying in the body of Christ. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Prayers up. We need a prayers, deep prayers for the repentance and the walk of repentance for this nation. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will win. But we are here in this time, in this place for just such a time as this. We're at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow afternoon for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through. Fight for all we had to lose. Reaching out for something to pull us up to the level ground. Oh, I can see it now. I can see it now.
not found Reaching through somehow Oh, you're an island when the world is too loud When the seasons change I know the space between us will stay the same Resting on this faith When your soul answers calls far away Safe place to hide from the rain. 